Today's show is brought to you by the Human Resource Executive Magazine's HR Technology Conference and Exposition, held October 1st to 4th at the Venetian in Las Vegas. Join me and thousands of your colleagues at the world's largest exhibition of HR technology. Act now using the code HREX and you can receive a $300 discount on your ticket. Thanks. We'll see you there. And by the way, don't miss the Women in Technology segment. Good morning and welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. I'm your host, John Sumter, and today we're going to be talking with Darren Lipscomb, who is the CEO and founder of a company called Ferrently. Darren, how are you? Doing great, John. Thanks for having me. Yeah, take a moment and introduce yourself, would you? Sure. Um, well, at the risk of giving away my age, um, I spent my entire career pretty much in the software industry. It's about 30 years now. Um, I was 24 when I first created and sold my uh, first software product to the federal government. And then uh, late 90s, I co-founded a CRM software company. I sold a few years later to Remedy and Mountain View. And I spent some time in Silicon Valley running their engineering and product management teams. Um, second venture was a smart city big data play that I founded. Uh, we developed a web platform for modeling IoT and spatial temporal data for visualization. I know it's a mouthful, but basically we could consume just about any data set, including social media, and use that for predictive modeling, such as crime prediction. And then I sold that company to Hitachi in 2014. So Fairly is my uh, my third startup software, and uh, it's probably the one I'm most excited about, and I think has the most potential to be disruptive. So, 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 tell me a little bit about Fairly. So we spent uh, we spent I think it's going on now two full years uh, building a powerfully simple web platform that leverages AI to perform social media background screening. So to distill it down to a simple value prop, I just say organizations use our application to mitigate their employment risk. And we achieve that by flagging public social media posts based on a dozen or so categories, such as bullying, toxic, obscene language, threats of violence, political extremism, and, and some other ones. Um, the best way to describe it is sort of to do a little bit of revisionist history. Do you remember uh, Reality Winner? That no, name, ring a bell to you? No, no, no. Nope. Tell me about it. So, well, you have to follow the news. But 2017, uh, she was a contractor for uh, NSA, and um, she ended up. Uh, she was an Air Force veteran, 25 year old. Year old uh, spoke four Middle Eastern languages and Farsi, Pashto, uh, and others. And uh, she was hired by a contractor called Pluribus International. Her actual name was Sarah Winters, and she went by the nickname Reality Winner. Um, and they, Pluribus, hired her in 2017. And, uh, you know, uh, they passed all the background checks. She, she had a security clearance uh, and the necessary uh, skill set, obviously, with her translation skills. And they hired her to uh, basically translate NSA intercepts or intelligence that they gathered around Iran's aerospace and um, and uh, nuclear program uh, from Farsi into English. And uh, so she was a perfect ideal candidate on paper. 
Um, but prior to her employment, and this is early 2017, she she uh, was very outspoken against Trump, uh, which is an abnormal in and of itself. But uh, you know, she she also expressed empathy towards Iran, and and just the sheer volume of posts, um, you know, put her in a in a situation there where you know someone someone should have. Uh, raised a red flag but that's really where fairly comes into play had they had our product you know within about 30 minutes um they would have been able to do a social media background check and that would have you know raised those flags around political extremism and obscene language that she had posted and it was only four months after she was hired that she leaked um nsa secret documents on the 2016 russian election meddling to a news outlet called um i think it was the intercept and uh, she uh, was found guilty two months later, I think it was, and uh, violating the Espionage Act and sentenced to five years in federal prison. So, you know, had, had her employer taken that 30 minutes and run the check, um, you know, they could have avoided that, that whole fiasco. Um, and certainly Pluribus took a hit to their, to their brand, obviously, uh, as well as revenues. And I think just this past year, uh, they ended up selling to a competitor. So. Um, you know, that's a big deal. So, that, again, it sort of speaks to the risk factor and that we're, we're trying to mitigate that. So that's, that's, that's a pretty amazing story. What you're, what you're saying is that NSA, which has got to have the largest, the largest data set of, of social media data, um, can't run it on their own employees. I, I wouldn't say it can't. Uh, they don't have the tools to do it. Um, and that's the thing. And if you look at, you know, they just passed the law, uh, all the visa applicants, I think there's about 4 million on average every year uh, coming into our country. The State Department now is required by law to check social media. Um, and that came went into effect, I think, late last year or earlier this year. And um, they have no mechanism today in the State Department. Uh, and, and that's you know something we're trying to raise awareness that hey that you know we exist, and uh, you know here's a tool we can we can use our AI to quickly uh, perform that check. Well, boy, there's sure a lot of talk about in that. Um, tell me about the AI components of the product before we go deeper into the. Yeah, just real quick, um, there's really two two aspects or a subset of AI, of the AI umbrella. One's our natural language processing that we use for sentiment analysis, and the other is our machine learning for post and image classification. And we combine those two things into what we call uh, a social media score. And what that does is it basically just normalizes the data. So a user can make a quick determination if a candidate you know, should come under further scrutiny. Um, so, you know, we, we sort of take these two different subsets and we combine them and, and deliver a, uh, result, uh, pretty quickly. So, so how is this validated, right? I, I get that you scavenge the data, but, but, um, uh, well, what's expressed in social media and what's actually the case, there's some variance between that. So, so do you do some sort of actual validation of your discovery or are you just, Absolutely. A, just yeah. so, yeah. so how do you validate it? So there's, there's two aspects here to where human intelligence is required to augment the AI, right? We, we wouldn't 
we're not going to rely upon the AI alone. Uh, but what it allows you to do is take thousands of posts and distill it down to ones that you probably should look at, right? That's the first thing. Uh, but really before that, it's the identity resolution. So you really need a human to – there are tools out there on the market to help, and we have some built-in mechanisms into our application to allow you to sort of discover or uncover the social media profiles given an individual and their location, et cetera. But so that identity resolution is really important first step. And then once the AI gets done, then, you know, we make it really easy to review what the AI produced, and then you can adjudicate that information, both on the sentiment side, if we got the sentiment wrong, or and if we got the, the flagging of the post wrong. So, so tell me about, tell me how uh, this gets used sort of in practice. Is this at the border checking that you're talking about doing? So I, I wish, uh, we're, we're too new, uh, and we're just sort of getting our name out there, but, uh, that's uh, certainly a goal of ours to, to use it, not, but not just, you know, federal government. I think organizations of all sizes and all industries can take advantage of this. Uh, we have customers as small as, you know, folks that own a pizza chain running it, you know, and making sure they're hiring the right folks. Um, you know, to uh, one I mentioned before the call and, you know, for college athletic recruiting. And it's really just a – really any industry can benefit from from this type of background screening. That's 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 an interesting proposition. So um, um, what are the big what, – what would you describe as the big questions that you're trying to answer? Well, I think, you know – there was a SHRM study, I'm sure you're aware, that you know turnover costs can ex- get into the six figures on average, uh, depending on the employee that you're you're trying to hire, and and then if you look at that combined with what, what's the impact of a toxic hire to the company's brand, um, or even you know possibly these days workplace safety. So our thought is, and an original thought is why that we came to the conclusion that this, the market needs something like this is that we feel like traditional screening, such as criminal background checks and employment verification, drug screening, they, they really don't answer, you know, some of the most important and basic questions about a candidate. Uh, you know, so we, we think by leveraging social media and AI, we can get a better handle on these risks. So, so if, um, well, let's let's talk about it. The the existing ways of doing background checking get you what percentage of the decisions right, and then what's the added value of fairly? Right, that's well, because that's the, thing, the claim you're making is that you add additional risk prevention. So so quantify that a little bit. Well, I think, you know, just the example I gave you on Sarah Winters was, you know, an Air Force veteran, security clearance, no prior criminal record, no drug, no convictions, nothing. Uh, but then when you, you know, look at someone, you know, on their social media platform and what they're saying on a public forum, uh, you can glean a lot about an individual. And that's really what this is about when it gets down to it. So. And it's not just about the negatives, right? Your traditional screening is only going to point out negative things that have happened to you in your life, whereas this um, this application um, and social media screening can, can actually point out positive things about the individual that you may want to bring to the forefront. 
That's interesting. So, so you said there are categories of alert that you, that you there are. Tell me about the positive categories of alert that you use to do that. Well, we can identify things like someone does a donation, you know, Facebook, for instance, uh, volunteering, uh, those sorts of things. Um, you know, spending time with family and coworkers, all, all those things can be, you know, gleaned as in positive sentiment as well as, you know, positive flagging. So not just negative things like bullying and violence and, and those sorts of things. So, so, so there's you get you get bullying, violence, um, um, political extremism, and then what are the categories of positive thing? Uh, so toxic um, language, um, which is sort of a superset of obscene. You know, we toxic's a little more uh, think passive aggressive, um, and then you have obscene. You have uh, threats of violence, self harm, um, hate speech. Uh, political extreme, as you mentioned, and then you know image, image classifications such as drugs and alcohol-related images, explicit, racy, and even violent images. Okay, I'm, I'll I'll leave that alone. I was looking for I was looking for a list of the positive things that you discussed. Oh, I thought you were. You, you mentioned cannot, bullying. So. <laughs> I, thought yeah, you I cannot the, uh, imagine. <laughs> the customer who would buy your stuff to find out positive things about the employees, but 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 if you've got categories that you deliver that sort of balance out the uh, uh, political extremism and violence, so you get a more balanced look at somebody, I'd be interested in understanding that. Well, and sentiment really covers that as well. So you're having a person that's very positive can sort of offset some of the negative flagging so and that that's the importance of combining those two factors um and which makes us unique in the industry as well so who makes the determinations about the things like that balance between negatives and positives who decides that the ins and outs of that algorithm and is that publicly available uh, yeah we do. We, we leverage open source. In fact, our cinema analysis is one of, uh, it's a compound, uh, it's an algorithm, it's, it's an open source, um, and it's literally had millions of data points trained uh, by a community. And it was specifically built for analyzing social media posts and, and posts like on things, uh, boards like Reddit and such. Um, so it's been it's been vetted and it's used in a lot. It's um, in fact it's used um, by some of these other applications uh, for sort of brand recognition. You know what are what does the public think about this new release, our new new car, new model car, for instance? And so so it's been vetted and been used in the industry for over a decade. And uh, it just keeps improving because it, you know, it is open source. So, 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 so hang on, hang on. So that that open source tool is is designed to categorize and evaluate in the categories that you've described: bullying. Um, no, no, no. I'm I'm referring to sentiment. So that's the separate. That's the natural language processing. That's an open source piece that we use. Um. Okay, then, so the question that I asked you, the question that I asked you was, who makes the decision about how, what you said, when you do an analysis, the positive stuff can balance out the political extremism. And so the question yeah. to you was, 
who makes the decision about how that balance works. And yeah, so that would require you to tell me, um, yeah, I'm here's, how we, you, here's how we get at the <laughs> political extremism thing. Here's how we get at the positive thing. And here's how we make the tier. And here's how the decision is made to blend the two. Well, all these things are, de- are dependent upon data sets, right? So a training data set. Um, in the case of open source and why that's, that's valuable is that you get not just the community that's doing, providing the training sets, but also um, you have incentive by the companies, the products um, in our space, not just the background screening, but in the social media analysis space as a, as a generality. You know, they're incentive to get it right. Um, so that feedback into that uh, those training sets is really important and, and it's been going on for over 10 years uh, and it constantly is, is being improved upon so we find it pretty it's, it's actually fairly accurate um, but again you know we always have that human aspect on the end of this to make sure that hey, what we're you know what we're producing is accurate so we have that that ability to make corrections where, where needed how, how does and then work? as how, you make corrections do? as the community the users make the corrections as those and then we take those corrections uh, and we actually feed that back into our training set so it only improves over time so it's not a same so don't don't perceive this as you know this the the big bad guy sitting here and you know manipulating the training data sets. It's actually a community involved thing that, and that's the way we've we've architected the solution to allow for feedback from our end users uh, to make sure it is sort of a federated approach, not a not a centralized decision making uh, on that. Wow! Wow! I, I would I would love to meet the person who gives you feedback on the quality of the background checks. I mean, well, you have all flavors, right? It doesn't so, happen. It doesn't happen. Well, depending on your bent, uh, you know, if, if it's political extremism, obviously, if you're in the left or right of that equation, then you know, hopefully, the idea is it balances itself out, uh, kind of like our politics is supposed to work, right? Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> sure. Um, so in Easton, you, you're in Easton, Maryland, which is which is not yes, a um, um, a giant tech hub. Although there's all of that all of that Fort Meade related stuff in the Maryland countrysides. Um, um, how do you compete for development talent? Well, I th- I think like any the the market. Um, and the industry's really changed a lot. And I see it just in the last five, ten years. Um, you know, you can really start a company anywhere. And and there's we're pulling from folks in D.C., Philadelphia, Baltimore. Um, so we're close to all the the major hubs here. Uh, you know, and and Maryland actually has a pretty healthy um, um, set of uh, education. You know. Um, institutions that really feed those startups, uh, and Maryland's pretty active in that, uh, folks like Tedco and such. But, um, you know, it's really up to the to the organization. Do you, do you have the right ideas? If people want to be a part of that team, you know, building something that, that is disruptive. And, and so, I, you know, we use a combination in-house and outsourced talent, and, but it really comes down to the reward, reward system, you know, obviously competitive pay and options, but 
really more importantly, it's a you know offering an environment that's that's challenging to everyone. Um, and, and there's a you know a certain group of people that seek out startups and they thrive on that energy and that environment. And those are the ones that we try to identify and we like to bring them on full time. That's great. So how big is the company? So we're we just got going this year. We're less than ten employees strong uh, and growing. And um, you know we plan to uh, grow pretty quickly here throughout the rest of 2019, especially into 2020. Got it. Okay. So so the big question in, in all of this is um, what are the what are the key ethical issues in your work? So there are several. Uh, you know, one of the things. Uh, one of the things that actually makes us feel good about it um, is that if you look at the current state, you know how how organizations today are using social media screen candidates, it's fraught with issues. Uh, there are over uh, there was a study done, I think it was um, Career Builder, I think in 2018 did a study, and they showed 70% of hiring managers are scanning your their candidate social media already, and they're just doing it manually, you know, pull up a Facebook or your Twitter feed. Um, and it's highly subjective, and, and it can create EEOC and FCRA violations doing it this way. But if you're outsourcing this function, and if you couple it with a more objective AI to evaluate the posts and, and evaluate the posts thoroughly, you know, we're really addressing a, a big shortcoming in the market, we feel. And, you know, another thing that we're proud of is the fact that, you know, unlike traditional screening me- me- uh, methods, like I mentioned earlier, you know, we're really pulling out not just the negative aspects, but also positive. And, and lastly, from an ethical standpoint, I think, uh, you know, we, we're only, it's important to note that we only evaluate public posts for the candidates. We don't look at private posts. In fact, uh, I think it's tw- up to 26 states now that have social media privacy laws in place that prevent employers from looking at private posts. So that, that employer cannot ask a candidate to say, hey, hey, you know, accept my friend request or even worse, give me your password to your social media account so I can check it out before I hire you. That's, that's been uh, made illegal in about 26 states, um, which we totally agree with. Uh, but... If someone posts publicly and, um, you know, they're making a statement, I and mean, I think that's anybody could see it uh, and, and evaluate that. So so I, I get that what you're saying is is it's legal to do this. The question is, is it ethical to do this? What's the, and that's sort of the, the real meat of that question is, what's the trade-off between invasion of privacy and we can talk about whether or not you believe that that's the case um, and the employers need to spot risk right? and, and there's, there's some balance there and so, and so I'm interested in how you think about that well I think from an ethics standpoint you know we, we think it's, it's absolutely ethical when we focus only on public posts right so if someone doesn't want to say something to the world, they only want to say it to their friends, that's off limits. Uh, we don't get that. We can't get that. Um, and, and so we're only looking at public, public accessible information. You know, it's the same information. It's you know, criminal background check. This is court records, and this is public information too, right? Uh, so, so we view it in that vein that, you know, as long as you're 
you're just looking at public posts, I think you're perfectly fine. And uh, in fact, the FTC agrees with us on that because uh, they ruled in that that way. So that's uh, that's that's our position. So so you're scoring people, yeah? We do only to we score the data is really not the person. We score what we see from a sentiment and a flagging standpoint. And again, this is to normalize it. Uh, so in other words, if you had a, you got two candidates for a job, one, one posts a lot, right? They have thousands of posts and they may have, let's assume they had five flag posts and let's assume for this case that they have the exact same sentiment over time. Let's say somebody else only posted a hundred posts, but they had five flag posts. How do you, how do you represent that data to the user so they can make an informed decision? Uh, so that scoring reflects that proportion of flag posts to the total domain of public posts that we're analyzing. And, and that just allows you to quickly, you know, glean the information. So, so we, we so make it very clear. We don't, we don't, aren't making a statement of risk to the organization. Uh, that is up to the user of the application to make that final determinant termination. And uh, we're just giving them the tools to, to enable that or make that a little easier for them. So many places to go with this. Um, um, I, guess, I guess the question that I'd have for you is, is do the people who you um, investigate this way get notified that that's going on? And do they get to see a copy of what you pass on about them? So FCRA uh, guidelines is you have to have a permissible purpose. So employment is one. You have to let the person know uh, they have to give you permission to, to run that particular type of background check. Okay, so first off, you, you, have, you have to have a permissible purpose. You have to get permission from the candidate. And then uh, you have to have a mechanism for that person to easily dispute that report. And so if you follow those guidelines, and there's a slew of other regulations around that, uh, which we follow, to the letter, um, then you're perfectly fine under the law. And, and most, uh, you know, every, I'd say most background screening companies certainly follow FCRA guidelines and, and just like we do. Got it. Well, what an interesting conversation. Um, is there anything you want a listener to take away? Well, I think, uh, well, again, I, John, I appreciate the time. And um, there is a little bit of misunderstanding about, social media, I think the Cambridge Analytica uh, thing sort of got people a little upset. Um, the, the amount of data, the sheer volume of data that they were analyzing. Uh, but we're simply providing a tool, uh, you know, another arrow in the quiver for employees or employers uh, to manage, better manage risk. Uh, and, and, you know, what makes us unique is that we allow organizations to you know, quickly sign up under a minute on our website. Uh, they can run a report, have a report in their inbox in about 30 minutes. So we, we think it's a game changer, and uh, we, we certainly want to follow all the legal and the ethical aspects of this market. But we think it's important, um, and the, all the surveys are showing that most organizations do find this important. And we're just giving them a legal way to do this and a more efficient way to do it than, than they are today. Interesting. Take a moment, reintroduce yourself, and tell people how to get in touch with you. 
Um, thanks, John. Yeah, I, I certainly appreciate the opportunity again to join the podcast and um, to share, you know, my thoughts and on this up and coming space. And my name is Darren Lipscomb, and I'm the CEO of Fairly. Uh, the best way to reach me is by my email, and it's Darren at Fairly.com. D-A-R-R-I-N at Fairly. F-E-R-R-E-T-L-Y.com. Thanks very much. It's been a treat having you on, and thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. You've been listening to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. We've been talking with Darren Lipscomb, who is founder and CEO of Ferretly. It's a 21st century background checking tool. Thanks for everything. Bye-bye. 